Now, would you get with me to go to Mark chapter 11, because that's where we're going to land this morning as we continue this, this walk with Jesus through his last week. That's what we've been doing, going day by day through the things that took place uh, during his last week. So we're in Mark chapter 11, and uh, remember uh, two weeks ago we looked at day two, uh, which would have been the Sunday prior to Resurrection Sunday, and we, we kind of walked through the things that were taking place on that day. Uh, we, we looked at what was called, what has been called the triumphal entry. That's probably what your Bibles have it titled. Uh, we looked at how the different, uh, the, the witnesses who, who saw this, uh, they recorded the, the actions that took place. Uh, Jesus, as he's trying to explain to his disciples about what's about to come, and remember Peter's, Peter's response, kind of speaking for the elders of, no way, God, you, you, no way, Jesus, that's never going to happen. It's almost like we are not going to let you go to Jerusalem and go to the cross. That's just, and, and we talked about that that was because that wasn't in their plans. That wasn't in their narrative of what the Messiah would do when he came. And then, then as we moved into the, the uh, moving towards the Jerusalem and, and the donkey and, and the people celebrating, but again, they were way off from the heart of God why Jesus was there. In fact, so far off that if you remember, we ended day two with Jesus weeping because he knew they had missed it. They had totally missed it. The gospel of Mark then, uh, chapter 11, where I asked you to get uh, verse 11, ends that day with these words. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, let's move on because now we're going to move in. In fact, look at this. It, the next verse starts with the next day. So we know we are in now to day three. We're into Monday. Monday, four days from now, we're going to walk, be walking into the cross and all the things that lead up to that. But uh, So we're into uh, day three, Monday of Jesus' last week before the cross, and, uh, and we're going to look at some things that took place on that day. It was they're a pretty unusual day. In fact, at first glance, it is really hard to make sense of his actions. Uh, uh, look, follow along with me. It says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went out it, to, he, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his, his disciples heard him say it. Now, if you jump down to verse 20, not only did he speak to the tree, but verse 20 tells us he actually killed the tree. I mean, and it says he killed it. It was the next day, it was completely dried up right down to the roots. Uh, Pretty crazy, crazy situation, and, and one, quite frankly, that has caused a lot of uh, 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 debate among Bible scholars, uh, uh, some frustration, some, even some anxiety at what on earth is going on. Why would, why would Jesus pick on an innocent tree uh, in, in this situation? And if, and if you were paying attention, you notice I skipped a part in verse 13. Any of you catch it? One of the things I left out is it actually, we're told, it wasn't season for figs. Uh, you know, Jesus walks up to this tree and expects to get figs. He's hungry. It's not even the right season. 
Uh, and so this has caused uh, some real frustration and some real, uh, some, crazy, some crazy speculation. In fact, one writer called it a gross injustice on a tree, which was guilty of no wrong and had performed, the, and had performed its natural function, saying, that tree didn't do anything wrong, it's not time for figs. Uh, another author wrote, it is a tale of miraculous power wasted in the service of ill temper. And as, and as it stands, is simply incredible. In fact, he goes on to write, uh, it's not up there, but he says, the supernatural energy employed to blast that unfortunate tree might have been more usefully expended in forcing a crop of figs out of season. He said, hey, if you got the power to kill a tree, why didn't you just command it to have figs? This makes no sense at all. And so it's caused some real frustration, some speculation, uh, uh, it was Nina, Nina checks my slides for me, make sure that I've spelled things correctly, uh, which I often don't, and, and things make sense, which they often don't. And, uh, and she's looking, she says, I'm glad we're talking about that tree, because that's been bugging me for a long time. What on earth is going on with the tree? You know, is Jesus just getting grouchy? You know, it's last week, he's getting, getting a little bit of anxiety about what's coming. It's fraying his nerves. He's getting a bit jumpy. He's on edge. Uh, no, that's not what is going on here. Did, from what we know of Jesus, did walking up to the fig tree and not finding any figs on it catch him by surprise? Did he really expect there to be figs based on what you know about him? He, after all, he's the creator. He created the seasons. He he knows a bit more about the trees than any of the rest of us. So, so all this has, has just really caused some confusion. Let's go on. Uh, in fact, uh, I want to dig into that tree because I think there's a, a uh, I know, that the fact that it's been included, there's a reason it's been included. But let's go on to what's next before we kind of talk about that. Uh, down to verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. This is a story you've heard. If you went to Sunday school, you've heard this story uh, for a long time. In other words, he stopped the flow of activity in this area of the temple. He shut everything down. And then Mark goes on to say, verse 17, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it into a den of robbers. And again, a lot, a lot of folks, contrary to the fig tree where there's like, what on earth is going on? Uh, there's a lot of people say, oh, I know what's happening here. We've, I've got this figured out. There's a lot of theories about this moment, uh, believe it or not. Uh, you've heard some. I've, I have uh, one of the, the, probably the main theories, the main thoughts about this situation in the temple is that it's about the money changers, that they were, uh, in fact, uh, involved in criminal activity, that what they were doing was as people were coming in with their funds and that the temple wouldn't accept any money, you had to exchange it into temple funds, and so in the process of the exchange, they were ripping people off, they weren't giving them back what the value of theirs was, and, and so that's why... Uh, it was Jesus makes the den of thieves comment. We'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, so that, that's one of, those, what's one of the theories out there. And obviously the religious leaders were okay with this because they were getting their cut. 
And uh, so, so that, so there's just, just criminal activity. That's what's happening. Another theory is uh, that uh, what had happened was this was actually the place in the temple where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to worship and pray. And uh, it was showing such a racist attitude by the Jews and the Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders, that they didn't, they were so callous that they just took their, the Gentile area and they made it the place where all this exchanging was going on so that they didn't even have to, to uh, do anything to, to help the Gentiles worship. That's another theory that's out there. There's actually one theory that is that uh, Jesus, in fact, did come. We talked about last week how the, the whole, or a couple weeks ago, about the whole emphasis of why Jesus rode up in on a donkey, then that was a signal that he had come to bring peace. But, uh, that, but in fact, one theory is, no, he came, he actually did come to lead revolt. That was his plan. He did plan to set himself up as the general of the army and get the army of Jews together, and they were going to go against uh, the Romans and, and defeat him and overthrow the power. And, and in fact, so when he went in and started turning things over and throwing things around, he was hoping that it would uh, charge everyone up and they'd get uh, upset with him and that would be the beginning of the revolt and it backfired it didn't work and ended up with him having to pay for his actions on the cross that's another theory that is out there a lot of theories about what's going on here i don't agree with any of them uh, i don't think this was about restoring the integrity of the temple at all. A few days prior to this situation, he had actually said to his disciples, this temple is going to be destroyed. Soon it's going to be destroyed. In fact, not a single rock will be left on top of the other. It's going to be totally wiped out. I don't think he's worried about restoring the temple. Actually, there's no evidence except the, the statement about the den of thieves. This is where it's grabbed. But other than that, there really is no evidence that anything improper is going on in this area. In fact, the, the, the norm of what was taking place was people would bring, over the years, the, the temple was so important to the Jews, and if you weren't right in the city of Jerusalem where you could have access to the temple on a regular basis, you, you, you're giving your, your, uh, the temple tax, they called it, you'd have to collect it, and you would save it so that when you came back to celebrate the Passover, you would bring your funds with you, and what took place in that area was you would deliver the funds, and, and they didn't deliver those grudgingly. They were, they were proud of their temple. Uh, they had huge respect for that place. That, in their minds, was where you came if you needed to and wanted to meet God. And, and the whole animal thing was, uh, if you're traveling a great distance, it was, a, it was a real hardship to bring animals to be offered to sacrifice along with you. And so the, the temple authorities had set it up that they would have animals that you could purchase for that purpose. And it was uh, to ease the hardship of the people. So that, prior to this moment, that's really the evidence of what was taking place in that area of the temple. And the idea that it was uh, because it was pushing the Gentiles out, actually most uh, scholars don't believe that that was the, any, had anything to do with the Gentile area. The Gentile area was even further out. The Gentiles weren't even allowed into this part of the temple. So it wasn't about the Gentiles or 
any of those things. But what about that statement you have made the house a den of robbers or a den of thieves, depending on your travel, translation? Some, uh, it could have been translated a robber's cave. Think about that for a moment. Is a den of thieves a place where thieves practice their illegal activities? Is, is that the place, what it's called, where they're out, you know, and doing their con jobs? What's the den of thieves? What's the cave of robbers? And the way it was used in this day as well. It's where they hold up and afterwards and, and count the profits, you know, and, and ta- tell the stories of, you know, what we, how we took so-and-so, and man, what a sucker they were. And den of thieves, that, that doesn't even fit the idea of this actually place being where they're robbing the people, it's the idea of this is where the thieves hang out. Interesting. One author that I read said, if we're going to understand what's happening in the temple we got to understand what was happening with the fig tree. These two events took place within hours of each other. There's a reason they happened on the same day in the sovereignty of God. God had Matthew and Mark record these events taking place on Monday for a reason. Because they both point to the same truth, the same issue same problem, the same struggle that they were having and we, were ha- and we have. So the question is, what, what was God trying to point out to them and to us? Well, if you're looking for a fig tree to give you fruit out of season, you're going to be very disappointed. And like I say, I have, Jesus had no expectation there was fruit. This was, this was an object lesson going on. If you remember, just the day before, there was a whole lot of, in fact, to the point where it caused Jesus to weep, there was a whole lot of people deciding what they wanted Jesus to be. They had set up their fig tree. And here's the way it was going to provide. And here's what they were hungry for. And, and here's they, what they wanted to see Jesus do. Something had to kill the fig tree so they could get on the right track because they were looking for fruit where should not have been looking for fruit. You know, it's interesting as you you look down through this this whole scenario. Go down to verse 18. Notice it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now I want you to notice, in all the reactions that are brought out in that verse, no one reacted in the actions of Jesus. They were really all that upset about the tables, you know, pick them back up, put the money back on, let's get back to business. Everybody was upset and and struggling with what he had to say. The, the, the priests and the teachers of the law, it's when they heard this. 
what he had to say. They said, we need to kill him. We, we have got to get rid of this guy. The people were, it says, it, were amazed at his teaching. Uh, now, I don't think that's the best word. When we see the word amazed, we think positive. You know, we think they were excited. Wow, this is, this is so great. I've never heard anything like this before. Uh, we think blown away or, or wow, this guy is great. Uh, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. You know, he's finally dealing with these crooks that are taking from us every day. But, but that's not really what the word means. That's not the way it was used almost every single time in Scripture and even in the times of that day. Really what it should have been to, to translate it at is they were disturbed at what Jesus had to say. They were shocked, even panicked. Why? What's he telling them? What's he telling his close followers as, they, as he curses this fig tree because it doesn't have fruit, even though it's not seasoned for it to have fruit? He's saying, if you go to a fig tree out of season looking for nourishment, you're out of luck. It's observed. You are going to be very disappointed He's telling the people that have gathered in this temple, if you go to this place, this cave of robbers, this den of thieves, this hangout of misleading information and demands, looking for God or a connection to God, you've come to the wrong place. Can you imagine how that sent shockwaves into the people listening. You come here to meet God? You're at the wrong place. You're not going to meet him here. This place has become a hangout for thieves, for the corrupt, for the misleading, for the robbers. You won't find God here. You won't find him in all the pomp and circumstances of religious activities that your leaders have led you to believe that God wants from you if you really want to get to God. You won't find him in the empty rituals or the magic prayer formulas that you've been told are the pathway into his presence. If you're looking for peace, you won't find him in a building, in a self-help book, in a certain political persuasion. If you're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction, you won't find it in more stuff or a full bank account or a new lover. All those things are empty counterfeits to what it is that your heart is hungering for. Worse, they're thieves of the truth and of what really matters. What you're looking for, what will really bring Fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, contentment. It's not found in any house, any place made of bricks and wood. Or any of those other things we tend to look to for figs that are not in season yet. It is only found in a relationship with the Son of God. Who came. To seek and save the lost. And it's only sustained in a relationship with God. So now a bit of soul searching. 
What is it that has taken your eyes, my eyes, off of the real answer, the real prize? What fig tree are you looking at to fill some void in your life thinking, this is what I'm hungry for. This will bring the nourishment. The fruit's not there, I'm telling you. What temple are you worshiping at that really isn't a temple of God at all? It's robbing you of the real answer to your needs. What is it? Who is it? Maybe it's time to turn a few tables over and get back to the one who really makes a difference. Maybe it's time to go to the throne and say, God, you are what I need, and only you. You're the one I'm searching for. You're the one who can fill the void. I recognize that, and I'm going to quit chasing fig trees. In fact, God, kill the fig trees so I can get my eyes back on you. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy for us to get distracted, to get fooled, into chasing counterfeits. Things that our hearts convince us are what we need to fill the void, to fill the hunger. And then we arrive and found that there's no fruit there. Lord, it's easy for us to look in all kinds of other directions except the one right direction, the one who has offered peace, as Kyle mentioned earlier, the one who has offered to bring us satisfaction and fulfillment in our life, the one who has stepped towards us so that we could be in relationship with him, who has told us it's not found in a building, it's not found in rituals, it's not found in religion, it is found in a relationship. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has not stepped into that relationship, has not welcomed and received that gift of forgiveness that you're offering them, that today they will accept it. And then they will look to you to provide what their soul is hungering for. Thank you for the opportunity to spend another day with you as we move towards that cross and then towards the resurrection. Praise the Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we close this morning? Sing this with me, Amazing Grace.
God, my chains are gone. My chains are gone, and I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing. Church's promises are good. As we're closing this morning, a couple reminders. Um, we could use a couple of folks to help carry those couches from the adult Sunday school classroom up to the tribe room. And then our prayer team is going to be coming to the front as well. And they'd love the opportunity to pray with you over anything you need prayer over this morning. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next time.